0: Hey everybody. This is Josh Rapoon. I am super stoked to be bringing this episode to you today, Christmas Day 2019. I'm stoked because the episode is with Stacey Kunihisa of Lani Elementary School. And it talks a lot about choose love, which is a really important program or approach to building culture on school campuses, a culture of compassion, and of love and of kindness, and of empathy. So enjoy. And if you really do enjoy, please give us a rating in the podcast store. Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. My name is Josh Rapun. I'm your host. And today we are here at Kanoilani Elementary School in Leeward, O'ahu, with its principal, Stacy Kunihisa. Stacy, welcome to the program.
1: Welcome. Hi. Thank you.
0: So, Stacy, typically in these episodes, I start out with some biographic material so that uh, the folks who are listening locally, nationally, globally will understand who you are. Um, so, where are you from?
1: I grew up in... Okinawa in California, and then I moved to Oahu. So I've been here since fourth grade, born and raised here.
0: Cool. Where'd you go to school?
1: I intermediate, I high school, uh, my my elementary school, mm-hmm. and then I intermediate, and high school.
0: And what were those experiences like in elementary and middle and high school for you as a student? Like, who were you as a student?
1: You know, I had to be adaptable because I was a military child, so we moved around a lot. I think I went to five different elementary schools, so that was my little stumble earlier. I don't really know where I went to elementary school because I went to so many different ones. So by the time I hit seventh and eighth grade at IA, I I had to really ask myself, who are you and what do you believe? Because my friends kept changing and there was no—I didn't have the same doctor my whole life, and that was my dream, even for my own kids, for stability.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, over the course of your life, at least in elementary school, there wasn't a solid sense of place. It sounds like it sounds like it for it was difficult to ground yourself.
1: It was it was very difficult to to know who my t- where my ties were. I mean, besides my family, um, it's it's kind of unclear.
0: And it seems like like right out of the gate here, as we begin to talk about you and your work. You know, Hawaii has a large military population, and right Right. out of the gate, we're acknowledging that for a lot of kids, it must be difficult because they do move. And how do we find a sense of place? How do we help them find a sense of place on their particular campuses?
1: Right. And I think that's so critical because you you will invest and pour into a place that you feel you belong. And Mm -hmm. I think that's our primary job is that sense of belonging.
0: And so your time in high school, again, you went to high school where? Because in Hawaii we ask, right? You
1: know? I am. I am high school. Yeah. Class of 90. woo woo.
0: Yeah. And so tell me about a time in high school where you felt particularly engaged as a student, like you were locked in, it was relevant, you were... You were really focused on what you were learning, and it was of high interest to you.
1: Well, I think that the two biggest things like I participated in at and, and, and I uh, were soccer. I was a soccer player my whole life, including college, and drama. So I think those two arenas gave me the place to find somewhat of a voice and an identity. So for kids who don't belong to any organized sports or clubs, I, I imagine it would be a struggle, but that's where I found my calling
0: do you remember any particular dramatic productions that really stood out for you
1: I, all I remember was I was Titta girl and my friend was was honey boy and we did a local um, ind- rendition of you know just some vignettes and that was important to me I was in pippin I I was in um, the I, I forget what it was called
0: yeah. And so, that, so the theater part has been informative for you throughout your life. Absolutely. That experience, yeah. right. So after high school, then what happened?
1: Then I went to, I, I got as far away as I could um, from, I, I really did not want to follow my mother's footsteps. She was such a strong, my mother was such a strong educator on the islands. I wanted to be different and find myself. So I went all the way to University of Oklahoma. Wow. Sooners. Uh, played soccer there, and then lo and behold, came back and followed in my mother's footsteps as an educator. Okay.
0: And so, did you do graduate work uh, to become a teacher, or did you just come straight out of undergrad? I went
1: um, through Central Michigan University as a beginning teacher. I took um, online courses, and the, the the pilot kind of courses were you able to get your master's degree here in Hawaii, and I, I finished that at Central Michigan.
0: Okay. And then, so at, at while you were at Central Michigan and as you were tracking in that direction of becoming a teacher, were you aware at any point that you were beginning to develop a philosophy of education, a sense of your own mission and vision as an educator?
1: I think the little experiences snowballed into a bigger belief system around kids and learning. And it over time, you know, I was a teacher for a good eight or nine years before I went into administration and just experiences led me to where I am today with my, my system of thinking.
0: And, w- and what was that mission and vision that was emerging? Like, What were you thinking about kids and who they are and what we have to do with them as educators?
1: I think fairness is a, is a, a fair word to use. Um, equity, really making the playing field um, equitable for all students. The concept of we is greater than me. The idea that I couldn't do it alone. I couldn't be a teacher on my own. I needed the parents' perspective. I, c- I need the kids to buy into a, what I'm working on. So all of those wove together into making me who I am today.
0: We're talking a lot now about equity in education, especially here in Hawaii. Yes. How, what does that mean to you? Like what's that conversation, what does it need to be about? If you're one of the leaders in that conversation, what does it need to be about?
1: I think it needs to be about a colorless world. And what I mean by that is not defining people by, and I'm not saying literally racial color, I'm saying generally, releasing all stereotypes so looking at everybody as if we're just we're in it together and that we all have different needs and strengths and and uncovering those strengths so that kids can develop their own path of learning and not being so robotic and systematized like we've been for decades now
0: right so after you, so you come back to Hawaii then, yes. and then what were the first experiences that you had as a teacher?
1: I went right back to Aiea High School and taught at my alma mater wow. and taught alongside all of my, my teachers, my fellow teachers. I was, you know, fresh out of college, 21, very young and, and bright-eyed and excited about learning. I remember having Saturday schools and, you know, helping kids just change and grow as much as I possibly could.
0: And so actually I had a similar experience when I came back out of undergrad and went back to be a, or became a teacher. I was also teaching with people that had taught me earlier, which was awesome. pretty interesting experience. Absolutely. There were things that had happened back in high school that maybe I was still <laughs> carrying <laughs> right. a little baggage, right? right you know, right, I remember right. this one teacher who wrote at the top of a paper that he's like, you have no style. And I was right. like, what Like, <laughs> how could you say that to me as a student? And now I'm teaching with the guy, right. or I was teaching with the guy at the right. time. So, all right, so you're you're moving through your time as a teacher, and then at some point, it starts to come onto your radar screen that you might be working at administration. When did that happen, and, and what was that like?
1: That's such a hard question to answer. I don't know, there wasn't a, a specific moment in time that, that I realized, I think, over time my administrator just encouraged me to head towards leadership positions. I was a resource teacher for the state of Hawaii for um, a couple of years in between that that transition. And I, I think what it boils down to is your impact and your the width and depth of your impact. And I realized I could help not just 30 students, but I could be a part of something bigger than that and help, you know, 80 students or 100. And now I'm at 800. So how many lives? are you able to impact it in such an exciting, innovative way?
0: So, as you you track through this then, what were the positions that you held in administration? What What was that early time like?
1: So you always start with um, a, a assistant principal, which is a vice principal role. So I was, I, I held that role for a good 10 years, had two kids during that time, which mm-hmm. which plays into your, your trajectory as a leader. And after the two kids were born and about eight, nine years under my belt, it just honestly fell into my lap. So I was asked a TA, um, TA principal at several schools, got that experience, and then was encouraged to head into principalship.
0: And your first principalship was...
1: The first TA principalship, I think, was at Makakilo. Uh, I, I did one at Pohakea, um, I think I was one at Wahewa, so several different locations before I decided to mm-hmm. step into that world and that responsibility.
0: And those years were, what years were that? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> we t- we're talking 90s here, right?
1: Like yeah, 90s, yeah, yeah, late 90s and then the, into the early, um, 2000s. early 2000s, right?
0: Right, so along the way, and I know this might seem like a difficult question because I'm asking you to remember back, um, you know, a number of decades, but along the way, like as you began to search for who you were going to be as an administrator and you began to notice that there were things happening nationally and globally in education, like what was coming up on your radar screen that was interesting to you or, or was something that you wanted to explore further?
1: You know, I, I think the biggest question I have is how do we change with the times? How do we keep education relevant? We're so worried about making, making sure the lesson plans are relevant, but it's bigger than that. It's how do we shift these schools and our systems and structures to keep up with, with the changing times? You look at Finland or New Zealand, and the way they're doing school is just so different than what we look for in, in education. So that's kind of been creeping around as far as what what are next steps for the department as a whole
0: Mm -hmm. and so you've begun to think about what is your role in the process of helping to redesign education so along the way um, and again this is part of my prior preparation for this particular moment you began to blog yes Um, so talk to me about the moment when you decided that it was going to be important for your school community to begin to hear your voice more at least in a written form in an online form
1: I think the first three three or four years at, at Kanuelani, it was more about getting the systems and structures set within our school. So it's almost taking care of your own house before you can go out. My philosophy was we had to get um, on the same page as a team. We had to know our direction. And then when that felt good, it felt kind of pono and that we were set. I was able to look out of our school and and start to involve the parents in a lot more conversations around the philosophies that we run mm-hmm. and the beliefs that we have here. So I thought, well, why not stay relevant in that format? That's when Twitter started to take off and social media. So blogging was just another way to keep up with, if you look at websites, you'll see they're in different stages. And I, I it was a big priority that we stay really current with our website and make it meaningful. Mm-hmm. So it's not just stagnant.
0: And so the, the fir- do you remember the first moment that you sat down to write that first book?
1: I don't. Um, I, I just know that it was in my heart to not be afraid to unveil my thinking and to kind of pull back the curtains on what, you know, school is usually separate and right. drop your kids off and you don't need to know all the details. But I think it's time we pull that curtain back and just reveal and be transparent with each other our struggles as well as the community struggles at home, in in the businesses, and whatnot.
0: I can imagine that that's a particularly vulnerable position to be in. Very scary. And so as you begin to put yourself out there to the community as the curtain gets pulled back, what were some of the reactions to the blogs that you were posting? and who, Who was paying attention and what were some of the reactions to the things that you were writing about?
1: You know, predominantly positive. I was surprised because sometimes I'll write some sensitive things like like homework is not the most important thing to do or you know almost parenting tips in the sense of how do you balance at home like we we try to balance at school so it became hey i read this in your blog and it made me think of this or i tried this new system and it, and it's working and it it almost became a a, a very mutually um beneficial relationship, I would say, that they're able to learn from us, the adults, not only the kids, the adults can learn as much as the kids are learning.
0: So it sounds like this is super intriguing to me, by the way, it just like I'm, it sounds to me like where we previously would view principals as sort of, I, as a parent, see the principal as kind of a compliance officer, somebody who's keeping the lid on, who's carrying out the plan as it's supposed to be executed. And here, what you're doing is you're putting yourself out there as sort of a coach, as a mentor, as a sponsor, as a friend, as a guide on the side to your parents, and that their reaction to that was a positive reaction.
1: Can I tell you one quick story? Go for it. I, I came to work recently in my you, know, you call them boro border clothes. That means you're just your play clothes, which you don't come to work that way. I don't come to work that way, I, I you know, I dress professionally. And I tried to sneak in the back door of my office to pick up something and two parents separately, one got out of their, out of their car, walked all the way over me to, to me to talk to me about um, what's going on at home. And another parent stopped me to share how her daughter was struggling with this club that she was trying to get going. And I, in the midst of the conversation I said, I'm so sorry I'm dressed this way. And the parents said, no, no, girl, like you're human too. And it was such a refreshing moment for me to let down my guard a little and let them see me in my play clothes. And then I am human and it's more of a it's a mutual relationship where like it's colorless, it's not, no roles, it's not hierarchy, it's not, that's the principle, it's we're raising these kids together.
0: Right. You know, way, way back in the day, and I'm dating myself here, I went to Ben Parker Elementary in Kaneohe, and um, my mother was very close to the principal. And uh, believe it or not, the school actually burned down when I was in the second grade. And <laughs> oh, the, no. the crazy part for us guys living in Kaneohe, Kahalu, was the fact that the fire station was right across the street. So it's like, how come? How come the place burned down? It's like, was this some kind of plot? But for us kids, it was like we were so excited. Yeah. The school oh. burned down, we, and it burned down in August. I'm gonna right?
1: traumatized. No,
0: no, not at all. We were super excited, <laughs> excited, right? But my mother, she just like she and this and this principal, who were they were good friends and they knew each other. They just went to work and in three weeks they had portable classrooms. The school was back up and running again. Wow. So it's just like I'm I'm thinking about the ways that you can become a part or part of the, the fabric of fa- fabric of the community through
1: I, I use that word a lot. I use that word fabric of and it, it's even with all of our initiatives. It's not just another thing. It's it's who we are, and it's the fabric of our um, a quilt, if you will, of of everything that we do and believe in that exemplifies this this YPO community.
0: Mm-hmm. So, one of your early uh, blog posts was about something you call Pono principles. Right. Um, so, talk to us about that. What what is that, and what is your thinking around it?
1: So, you know, Hawaii is a very unique place to live and we have a lot of fond memories, things like the Karate Kid, you know, I believe one of the actors from the Karate Kid um, came from Hawaii and that was our claim to fame. So I started to think in leadership, leadership is hard no matter what organization no matter what walk of life it's not an easy seat to sit in so i started to think what are some beliefs and values that i have collectively the leadership team and i and how do i encapsulate that so that it's it's meaningful and and i do a lot of training with um, incoming administrators every summer i go and i help train so i thought how how can i put package that so hence the the idea of porno principles so one example would be like um have mempache eyes and not no make stink eye. And in Hawaii that means the fish has big round eyes and is always alert looking out for things. Stink eye is when you, you are jealous of others or you you want to pull rank and whatnot. And and the idea is make mempache eye, not stink eye, mm-hmm. and celebrate and accentuate the positives of what of what's going on in your school and in your community and anywhere in your organization instead of Focusing on what we didn't do right, what's missing, what's negative. And a lot of times we spend our life there in the compliance role, if you would, where it's, uh-oh, I got to do this, this, and this, versus let's look at the possibilities and the great things that are, that are occurring and how do we get there.
0: And what are some of the other principles involved in the funnel principles? Um,
1: things like whenever you sit on airlines, you they always say, you know when the oxygen max masks drop. Take care of yourself first. Put it on your child second. But this idea of take care of you first, no matter what role you have, and this is goes for the families as well. If you're not pono yourself and you don't take care of your own health and your own uh, emotional state and rest and eat healthy, I just read somewhere that leaders should have good dental hygiene and it just reminded me okay I do have to floss every night and every morning because that's a part of taking care of you and if not if you neglect that how can you be possibly responsible for anyone else under you
0: so what are some of the ways that you've been working to implement these principles in your school culture here
1: so I went to a Disney Institute um, training leadership training and I got jazzed about that as well so I came back and created a whole it's not Disney, but it's Kanoilani Disneyland and a whole series of trainings and modules that we go through with our leadership team. And we do a lot like this afternoon, we have one on um, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. And so we jigsawed that and they're going to present the leadership team. So I do a lot of training around leadership principles, as opposed to state mandates or compliance issues. We talk a lot around how do I lead myself and how do I lead others? And that includes a classroom. How do I lead kids? How do I lead parents?
0: Tell me more about this Disney training that you enter this program. What was that like? What was it about?
1: It was, um, ASCD brings down a conference each year or several. ASCD. Association um, for <laughs> Dis- Curriculum and Design. I don't know the exact name. Right. But ASCD is a is a um, national educational organization that many of us are members and I read their magazines I should know what it stands for we have many acronyms Um, but they bring down Disney and it it was it's the idea that how Disney trains is it's so it's so successful obviously Mm -hmm. because Disneyland is so successful but it's so detail-oriented that it's not just step one step two step three it's it's it boils down to relationships 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 Mm -hmm. that's what it boils down to
0: so just like any sports team or any organization, you, you, it's a community of practice and the emphasis is on practice. You have to practice, practice, practice right, in right. order to get these things right.
1: And the investment in people mm-hmm. that, that, you know, yes, we have test scores. Yes, we have, you know, reports to fill out, but what's the story behind each person? That's mm-hmm. what our job is.
0: So, you know, Stacy, that one of the things that we've been talking about across the state and even nationally and globally is time. How do you work out the time element of getting this kind of community of practice rolling at your school and, and to give teachers the time that they need to be able to develop these practices?
1: So, every summer, I sit down with my team. Behind closed doors and we we actually map out every single minute that a teacher has outside of the classroom time that they're getting paid for contractually. We map it out and we figure out how those minutes are gonna be spent together collectively. So there there is time. I, I will say that there's not enough, but there's time and it's how do you use that very strategically and build in and build in support systems so teachers have the opportunity to grow. And and students have that opportunity to try new things. We do things like academies here, mirrored after Pearl City High School. So how do you have the time for that? How do you plan for that? Our teachers here go the extra mile, and they not just teach, you know, the standards and their lessons, and they're doing project-based learning and social-emotional. But then they pick up academies, and they have to, you know, they they do that on their own. We're offering sewing and cooking and languages. Um, One. group of teachers are they're going to do CSI coming up next week in two weeks and I've been kidnapped and they fingerprinted many staff members and they're starting with HPD to talk about how do you read fingerprinting and what does that mean in the real world
0: so you're actually saying and this is super interesting like paying more attention to time actually gets you more time absolutely so if you really really look at the way that time is spent during the day
1: Now, you don't get enough, but you're able then to use it so wisely. No matter if I'm in a principal meeting, if I'm at a conference, the first thing I do is open that document and say, do we have time and where and what can shuffle around? Right.
0: Okay, so now wait for a second now. I've definitely heard that there are academies and there's amazing stuff happening with academies in many of our high schools, but you're saying you have academies here at an elementary school? Yes, we do.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really cool. We're down to kindergarten. Kids can choose the path they want to... Explore. It's really pre-academy work, and it's an exploration of where where is my voice and who am I and what do I believe in.
0: What's the definition of academy then in that context in elementary school? Like the word, it means exploration.
1: It means exploration of classes that are not graded. Right. They don't have. They don't. We don't report out to parents except for through through pictures and through the, the student stories, and they they absolutely. Learning stops and yet learning begins at that moment.
0: So tell me again, what are some of these academies that you're developing? Are there, what, seven, eight of them? Oh,
1: there's there's a plethora to choose from. Plethora. It depends on the grade level and it depends on the interests of the students. So the students um, are able to say what they're interested in learning. Meanwhile, you pair that and marry that to what teachers are comfortable teaching. We have, and we work really hard at partnerships here. So Island Tumblers Academy is a gymnastics business right down the street, they're going to bust mats down here and offer gymnastics Mm. for that time frame. So kids who want to learn more about kinesiology or or Mm -hmm. physical therapy, they're able to explore that that career path potentially and learn about their body and how to take care of it. Wow,
0: that's extraordinary. So I'm thinking back again to Ben Parker Elementary. I mean, for me, school was never it was never a place that I wanted to be, and the thing about elementary school <laughs> was the nap, right? The denim nap sack. And right. that, I love napping more than anything, actually. <laughs> That's still true today. But I keep thinking, like, had there been a sort of kinesiology, science of movement academy, I was a hugely kinetic kid, and that's how I grew up in Kahulu, I was out on Kaneohe Bay, I was hiking, I was fishing, I was boating and all of that. Had that been available to me, that would have been a pathway that I could have pursued. Absolutely. So what are some of the other examples, like this is fabulous, so what are some other um, examples? So we,
1: we offer, we have a computer science specialist on our campus, so there's coding, there's robotics, we have um, maker space, we have a whole classroom dedicated to the fine arts. So there's music, there's uh, there we have sewing machines they're sewing and those kids are going to actually sew things that they're going to sell and and, Mm -hmm. you know generate funds back to their their academy so we work real closely with pearl city highlands intermediate and pearl city high school so that that pathway continues and doesn't get lost
0: and that's crucial because as the kids if the kids leave in the sixth grade and go off to middle school and they slam into something that has no experiential element to it. That's going to be a difficult transition for them. Right, right, right. What are those conversations like with the with the middle schools and with the high schools about that continuity of student development, if you will? What is what? Right. What so it begins like?
1: at the high school, right? You start at the top, and you, you should backward maps that anything you do. So the high schools run. Um, I think they have three right now. Huge. Pathways that they follow with different academies under that that they're uh, looking at, mm-hmm. and and they design their. It's kind of like what they have at Waipahu High School, right. and, and they're known for their academies. Much document. Pearl City is is right behind. We're coming up on the heels of that to to really get kids authentic experiences and making an impact in our community. One one project that we had recently led. Then some 4th and 5th graders to start, they, they created their own Rainbow Recyclers, so they got in touch with Kokua Foundation. They, they did all that research and legwork and they, they, it's very common to come to me now, for kids to come to me and propose and pitch a new club or new idea based on what they're interested in and what they're learning out there.
0: And what's the process like for vetting those particular ideas for you? Like what's the superstructure for vetting that for you?
1: my superstructure? If kids are interested and there's a willing adult, let's do it 100% and let's fund it and uh, it can be whatever you can dream, we'll do it.
0: Right. In what ways have you seen the culture on campus change as a result of the academies and the opportunity for kids to explore things that are of interest to them?
1: I think engagement has increased exponentially. Uh, the, The idea of getting away from just blocks of time and being so regimented is, is exciting and it it gives you a taste of what schools could look like in the future where it could be houses of kids learning around around academy, you know, interests mm-hmm. and designing the curriculum around that as opposed to we all following a common core standards.
0: Wow, so interesting. So Stacey, we're gonna take a quick break okay. and when we come back we're gonna be talking about um, your connection to businesses in the community and also about something called Choose Love. So everybody will right. we'll be back in just a sec.
1: Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from MarketScale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled, What School Could Be in Hawaii? MarketScale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at marketscale.com. You click on industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there.
0: Hey everybody! This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, another on the road edition, and we're here with Stacy Kunihisa at Kani uh, Noelani School, elementary school in West Oahu. Um, so, Stacy, um, I want to keep going with the conversation that we we had just before the break about sort of the balance of student interest and student agency and student purpose with, um, I guess we we have to call them federal or state mandates around testing. So. How are you doing that on this campus? How do you find that balance? Is it really a balance that we're looking for? Or are we trying to reduce some of the things that we've been doing in the past and trying to increase some of the things that we'd like to do that, that build student engagement?
1: That's a great question. Is it? I, I, you're right, I don't think the word is balance. Um, I think it's priorities and, and reprioritizing a school day or a school year. What does that look like? The, the, my internal struggle, to be honest with you, is you need to show progress. I mean, there needs to be some measuring stick. And how do you do that without some kind of formative assessment or some checking point? So I'd hate to lose that. Uh, you know, John Hattie talks about the year's growth. I mean, he uses that as, as a measuring stick. And so, what is that year's growth? There needs to be something. So, balancing that, we have your typical data walls, we're tracking every child's academic progression. I'd hate to lose that, I really would. I think that would be a disservice to the students. And yet, how do you integrate more of their voice and choice, which is what we're heading towards, and and redesign the day and reprioritize your day? So one, one model I've kind of seen recently that it has, I've been mulling through is the I do, you do, we do philosophy. You That's a typical lesson. I do it. You do it, we do it together, and then you do it on your own, and that gradual release. The other model I saw, and I can't remember where I saw it, sorry, was this idea of we're doing it together the entire time, and yet you have your own pathway that you head off into. So it's that, that. what does that look like? That's the whole redesign process. I think it's reprioritizing how you spend your time.
0: And what are those conversations like with your faculty as you guys are reimagining this?
1: That's, that's a great question. Um, First of all, my faculty thinks I I'm, I'm dreaming every day. They get nervous when I walk into a room, but they're but I, they support they support the the philosophy here because they designed it. Uh, learn more, care more, be more. That it's not just about learning more. It's how do you integrate social emotional learning? How do you integrate kids who are going to be better people? Like that's critical. Mm-hmm. We've tried the, for the first time this year win time, and it's um, we actually had it. It was called intervention. In the past, in the, well, when we first introduced the idea last year, and the staff, we talked deeply around it and we said, No, we don't like that word. It's what I need. It's
0: got negative connotations yeah. to it. It's mm-hmm.
1: what I need, win. And the kids love this win time. And everybody gets what they need at that moment. And that is a really hard task for any teacher. So that now means you have 20 kids. 20 kids might be doing 20 different things around that content area. So we are grappling with it as we speak. Uh, the teachers have new discoveries every day. But the bottom line is they're willing to try and they're willing to fail and figure this out. So as a school, that's kind of our growing pains right now. And it's shifting us towards a student centered classroom away from a teacher centered classroom, which I think was a typical old fashioned
0: look. So when you're talking about when, what I need now What's the process where I, as a student, identify what I need? This is extraordinary to me. Like, instead of you thinking or knowing what I need, (laughs) what is that?
1: It's, It's been fascinating conversations. So in one classroom, you can walk in and somebody is studying the Great Wall of China and why it was constructed and the purpose of it. And then somebody else might be looking at democracy and... Why, what is a democratic nation versus a communist? And then somebody else might be getting support in reading interventions because they're struggling with um, sounding out or rhyming words and they're getting support in that. So the teachers are really, really critically thinking, how do we use that block of time? It's leading me towards, this is my dream, it's leading me towards melting all the walls of grade levels and and. Designations of anything, like I said, kind of the colorless world full of color, um, where there's not grade levels and there's not uh, even even maybe no bells. Where it's just a block of time. It's a day, and you you structure when you're hungry, you eat, and when you're when you when you need to play, you get out and you rest. That's looking down the road several years, but really looking at how do we get away from a traditional clock and calendar
0: i can only imagine that you're starting to think about the physical space that you occupy on this campus and that if that dream were to be or or can be realized that has a lot to do with how the physical space is laid out absolutely yeah
1: we we talked about recently we've been talking about um, getting rid of our cafeteria and not even i mean why do we even need a cafeteria where you know where you just sit in rows and you eat get rid of all of that but you have so much red tape right you got to look at the federal guidelines and you got to look at the procedures and the meal counting and whatnot but a, a multi-purpose if I could redesign this school we we could move mountains so we're we're trying to do it backwards right with what what's ex- existing and how do we fit into this mold but if I could just tear all these walls down it would be a very exciting day.
0: It seems like, and I've heard these conversations across the state that because of the fixed element of the space right. that every public school occupies, um, people are having to be even more creative right. in terms of figuring out how to use that space because they can't change it short of scraping the school right. and building it all over again, which isn't in the cards right now. Um, you have to reimagine the way the kids move
1: right.
0: and how, how they interact with the adults on campus. So in I just want to go for a second into the cafeteria like what could the the cafeteria is not going to get torn down what could the cafeteria be then
1: That I think what schools are leaning more towards is a multi-purpose, multi-function area. So it wouldn't be designated as a space for anything in particular. But we have a, a drama club that just started, and they do all kinds of plays and stuff, and we have nowhere to, to house them. We have music program. We have coding and robotics. That table is huge. We have no space. So that then it leads you to you need flexible furniture which everybody is trying to buy right now, everybody. Yes. But it's so expensive. Our computers are getting you know, left behind, so we have to keep up with that. So it's that money issue and figuring out how do you spend what you do have in the locations you have and make it as flexible as you possibly can.
0: So it seems like a perfect segue into talking about your relationship to the business community Absolutely. around you. So talk to us about that. How, what are you thinking and dreaming about in terms of, all of the communities that exist around this school and the businesses that are in those communities?
1: I think a critical role of the principal seat is, my job is to build those relationships and and be that hub in a wheel, in a spoke if you will, be that, that hub that pulls these spokes together and then connects people, teachers, to businesses. They don't have the time to get out there. I mean, I really don't either. We, However, we did decide to have community breakfast um, opportunities for our businesses. We have about 100 businesses in our area. We're, we're blessed. And the first one, maybe about 40 came. And from that flourished about maybe 20 good business partnerships, some strong ones, Alexander and Baldwin, American Savings Bank. So we're talking about big hitters that that have the backing that can make a difference. We are now partnering with YPO Shopping Center. So we go down there, our kids decorate all the holiday bags and all the businesses sell it for us. Mm-hmm. So those are really critical relationships. Um, the second one though, this year we did another one and it doubled, the numbers doubled with the amount of people that came to look at How can we partner with the schools? And I think the superintendent is heading in that direction, you know, big time. So it just follows suit that all the schools can do that and should do that.
0: So it feels like there's a correlation between what's happening on campus, the unleashing of student potential of creativity and the interest that the business community is showing in what's happening on campus. So you're seeing that play out?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think everybody's feeling that, that, that old adage, it takes a village. I think everybody's feeling that, that pressure, if you will, because society is changing so fast and it, it impacts so many people in so many ways.
0: Do you, when you talk to business people, do you get that sense of urgency from them that we're in the middle of an age of, of acceleration and that they're worried that the kids are going to be prepared to?
1: Their, their biggest their biggest feedback to us, any business will tell you, these kids are coming out not ready for the workforce. And what I mean by that is the problem solving skills, right. the teamwork, it's those, it's a it's critical thinking skills. It's not, they can't do math well, or even they can't read well. It's they gotta learn how to work together. They gotta learn how to communicate. They, they gotta learn how to make eye contact and those things.
0: So we is better than me then becomes sort of the guiding
1: Absolutely. principle
0: as you move forward. So, Stacey, you came onto my radar screen because of something called Choose Love. Um, and so talk to us about what Choose, what the Choose Love program, if you will, is about and why you saw it as something that you wanted to engage with and then how you moved through it and what the impact has been after that. I know it's a big question with a lot, but.
1: So when we first, uh, when I first got to Kanuilani, our test scores were were relatively decent, and year after year they increased. We work hard, and we watched that needle grow. And and one year, several years back, someone had made a comment that, yeah, we have good test scores, but do we have good kids? And that resounded with me. The same or on the same time, I watched the news and. I'll never forget this. I saw a segment of an old elderly man in a mom and pop shop in Hawaii, Honolulu, and a teenage boy went in, held him at gunpoint, you know, I think I think beat the man up and left. And I thought, for some reason, I thought, who cares what his test scores are? Who cares if he got a 300 or higher? Because we're so focused on that number 300. That I thought we, we are, we need to swing back. And I think this happened nationally to really looking at social emotional learning. Choose Love is a movement. It's not necessarily a program. It's a movement that was founded by Scarlett Lewis because her son um, had passed away in this Sandy Hook shooting. First grade little boy. And instead of embracing um, hate and just, you know, regret and remorse, she really turned it into a positive and worked with neuroscientists and teachers and developed a free curriculum to embed into your school. We did a whole research, our our staff, and we looked into different programs and unanimously kind of talked about, yes, we need something and choose a fit where we are. You, You know, it's not the only program out there, but I think if schools are not addressing that whole child, and that takes time and it takes effort, but Things can't change without kids becoming better people
0: so it it seems to me that what's happening across the state with school communities being able to envision and Create their own school cultures is that they're given an opportunity This is a an epic opportunity for you and your staff to actually look at something that's particular to you right and so can you describe a little bit more about like, what was it like for you guys all together to dive into this and to, to come to the conclusion that this would be something you wanted to move forward with?
1: I'll, I'll paint a picture for you. We had a faculty meeting, and it was in the very early stages of, of bringing Choose Love into our school. And one of the teachers stood up, and her daughter goes to our school. And she said, I really didn't believe in all this social emotional learning. I, I don't, you know, I thought it was just another thing on my plate. Until I kind of had a meltdown at home, and you know she was washing dishes and kind of screaming like like many of us do when we're tired and it's late in the evening, and her little kindergarten daughter said, "Mom, you gotta stop and take a brave breath with me," and she actually used one of the concepts from the program, and this teacher ended up crying in that faculty meeting and said, "This is changing my life at home," and so. It, it was a snowball effect where it became the culture and the fabric of our school where adults have to use it just as much if not more than kids because we have to learn how to forgive each other. We have to have courage to try something new and not, and not just follow what's been done for the last 10 years. We have to have compassion for each other and know that we're at different places and we need to have gratitude every day.
0: So you're coming to the conclusion as a school culture, as a faculty, as a staff, that you need to have both the the uh, choose love culture, if you will, and also the the balance of academics and all of that. In other words, you don't want to be a school that's known for test scores, but a school that where kids have maybe not even feel safe uh,
1: right. when they're at school. Yeah, I I recently wrote a what if statement um, on Twitter, and it talked about what if like Rip Van Winkle, you went to sleep and you woke up the next day. This is my what if. What if grades were out the door, report cards no longer existed. What if um, we weren't measured by our test scores or by our graduation rates, but we're measured by how many crimes our students committed the last the day before. And I think that would be a huge indicator of how successful we are as, as a state, as a nation, and the way that we treat each other and, and the amount of crime that goes on.
0: So you made a decision then to host a Choose Love conference, if you will, on your campus. That <laughs> yes, must have been a crazy. wild and crazy decision. <laughs> That's crazy. So paint paint the picture of that. I would love. I think our reader, our listeners, would love to know what, what that, uh, that was, was like. That was a
1: hard decision, but like I said, if there's an idea and there's a will, and and we're just gonna we're just gonna jump right in and do it. And my fear was nobody would come. We were asked to host it because. Um, there were funding sources that, that saw what was going on here and said, we want to pour into this school and, and share the word, you know, the message here. And do you know, we we made it, we created our own flyer, we didn't know how good it was or whatnot, and just using word, put it out, I think it was on Instagram or something, or Facebook, one of those two. And within two weeks, all 400 slots filled up. There was a wait list. Until today, we have people emailing us saying, are you going to host another one? So the, the interest is there. I think it still exists. We have... Monthly, or if not, you know, two, three times a month, schools visiting us. One school brought their entire campus here to see what's going on, and we don't have the answers. We, we don't, we're not the experts, but it's the the belief that it's important. I think is what can be demonstrated when you go into the classrooms. It's not, okay, it's SEL learning time. It is embedded into when they're studying about Martin Luther King, when they're studying about the Mayflower or whatever their, their topic is and content, it's embedded into how were these people courageous.
0: So when I arrived on campus today, I was met by these two amazing young boys. Um, who are your student ambassadors? Yes. And they took me on a tour, and then at the end of the tour, I had a chance to just stand and talk with them for a few minutes. And I actually asked them about mm. shifts in school culture because of Choose Love. Wow. And they had shown me the wall where the choose love uh, um, image is and mm-hmm. that all the leaves that mm-hmm. were up there right now are around gratitude, yes. um, but those leaves are going to fall eventually and you'll have other leaves that will grow in with other um, wishes that the students put up there. And what they expressed to me was that there was a night and day difference between wow. um, and, and that what they That's felt awesome. was that the kids were relating to each other better. So I think my question around that is um, a more specific one around mixing grade levels and that you've talked about your dream of sort of taking out all the walls right. including the grade level walls. Um, so wh- what is that, what's that thought in your head about the fact that we have gotten so fixed on moving from grade to grade and that there might be um, greater student engagement if they're actually mixed together?
1: I, I saw uh, Saul Khan from Khan Academy speak at Schools of the Future. Right. And it just blew my mind when he drew that picture of the house. And he said, you don't you don't lay a foundation of a house and say, okay, it's been two weeks, we're past the deadline, we're gonna put a house on it. And then three weeks later, okay, it's deadline hit, we gotta hit the roof. You, you need to wait for the contractors to get there and actually lay a strong foundation. And it really, again resonated with me like that's how we run school it's so scripted if you're born after this date you can't start school yet if you if it's this date we're done with school and you need to move to the next grade level or you need to be held back it's black and white it's it's, there's no gray area but kids learn every day at different rates and speeds and, and in different areas so I think our challenge as a as a nation is how do we redesign that and what is that going to look like? Mm
0: -hmm. I have a a concern Stacey about college and I know I'm you're an elementary school principal right? My concern is that over the many decades uh, that we've been doing education the way that we've been doing it that we have developed this college robust mentality and that it even starts at elementary school Um, and that means that all the work that you're doing and the work that you want your middle schools to do and the high schools right. to do around experiential education and building student engagement and building student agency might be undermined by a track that the kids have right. to get into to go to college. What are your thoughts well, about that?
1: I hate to say it's, it's not might be. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, the high schools cannot even go into standards-based grading because the uh, colleges need that that gpa they need that college entrance so it's got to it's got to happen on a on a national level things have got to completely transform and be redesigned to look at success differently to measure success differently and i don't i don't have the answers i think that's going to come with you know many people we is greater than me coming up with what does that look like i hear that google or other big firms don't necessarily hire for college degrees anymore they're not looking for that and yet in the same breath i hear other companies saying but you can only upward mobility will only happen when you have a degree so so it's it's so it's so hard to navigate if if i were a 20 something year old you know going to college is is college the right way and it's not the only way But what does that look like? Can they revamp so that the high schools have that flexibility to breathe? At elementary level, I think we have a lot more flexibility because we are standards-based and there's more, and and there's a lot of trust with the parents. But as you get older, you definitely, even my own kids, they gotta take the SAT and then the PSAT. So it's studying for that, that test and making sure you get a good grade to get to a good college.
0: You know, a few days ago, the uh, regents of the University of California system um, announced that they are probably moving in the direction of dropping the SAT as a measure or as one of the uh, metrics, if you will, that kids have to. So in your mind, this is probably a good step. Wonderful.
1: Absolutely wonderful. Yes. Right. And what is that going to look like? You know, some of your brightest kids, every teacher knows this. Some of your brightest kids don't get the best grades for many reasons, the lack of resources, the home support, the the you know their living situation, whatnot. But that's not to say that they're not bright and they don't have a lot to contribute to our society.
0: Can you imagine that some of your kids will have artifacts of their own learning and their own experience here at your school Absolutely, that they yes. would present yes. to colleges later yes. down the line? Can you give me like one example of that, like something that's kind of on your mind that's happened recently where a kid did something and that could actually be there in the portfolio Well,
1: I think it's like even starting their own club and coming up with, we had one group of girls who wanted to put together an upstanders club, and they had to define what that looked like, find data around um, bullying and and harassing and and those kinds of feelings, and then how how do we create a group, so these little girls came together and created an upstanders group that they're able to give that support to each other, and before it gets to a certain you know, level where any adult has to step in, they can go to them and get advice from them. So, I mean, what a huge undertaking that is to take that responsibility as a what, eight, nine year old, and that could be a part of their portfolio. So it would be a portfolio of maybe digitally, you know, because that I can't imagine a big binder of stuff, but with reflections behind that, which I'm sure we were heading in that direction. It's just it's just one more thing to do, right? So I think that digital portfolio of not just academic work, but your contributions to the school are housed in there.
0: In what ways are you thinking about um, gauging student engagement on campus? Because you mentioned this a little bit earlier, that you're seeing this rise in student engagement. Um, are there ways to survey that are there ways to actually know or measure that without getting into measurements without giving numbers to
1: things so we do a lot of surveys we have committees running on certain Wednesdays like I said it's all mapped out so one committee is in charge of um, positive behavior supports on our campus so they actually do survey kids how do they feel how safe they feel on top of the state um, typical survey and they get a lot of good feedback. They we they survey them on do you know our core values? What is we greater than me mean to you? So they get a lot of anecdotal data, and and definitely across campus, kids know what learn more, care more, be more means, not just to our school, but to themselves personally. The best indicator was when the kids had to do a commercial for something. And so they were doing their commercial on the topic, and at the end they all turned to the camera and they said. Why do we do it? And they all in unison said, because we is greater than me. And do you know, when I saw that, I thought, okay, I've arrived. Like I've arrived at a place where the philosophies are not owned by the adults anymore, mm-hmm. that they're owned by the kids and they understand it and they own it themselves and they wanna make a difference. And so every adult on this campus equally agrees that these kids' matter. voices matter.
0: Wow, and that's equity. That's right. really the definition right. of equity, right? So Stacy here at the end of this um, awesome episode um, I want to blend two things together um, okay. I'd like to ask everyone who does one of these interviews about what they think school could be because it's a riff off of the title of textbook right. um, what school could be but I also want to blend it into thoughts you have about the future and that now we know you're a dreamer and you've got some big ideas <laughs> and it looks like your faculty has gotten used to the idea yes. <laughs> that you come in as a dreamer um, so kind of putting those two together like what's on your mind going forward from today Um, what could we be talking about if we do part 2 of this episode maybe a year from now Um, and into that what could school be
1: that's a loaded question I I think it's this sense of just not feeling and looking the way it has always been and and so the idea of kids having a, a stronger voice in what they learn and when they learn it Um, a campus that does not maybe have even you know I keep going back to this idea of melting things down and where it's not so um, segmented and, and scripted and and even teachers moving at their own pace with with some guidelines and measurements along the way. Maybe that academy's model extending far beyond just a we do it for a block of time, but maybe by the quarter they're able to really go deep and explore in that in that arena and make some big changes in the community. So it's kind of heading towards project based learning, which is what we're doing right now, a lot around that. And partnering with the businesses the local businesses. One thing we started to kind of scratch the surface on is helping them design their logos for their companies, but really getting deeper into those relationships and talking about how can how can the kids help them market their, their things? And what does marketing mean? And just the authenticity of learning will, will be increased, I think, tremendously over the next several years.
0: And this will require a fundamental rethinking of who the educators are that work at this school.
1: Because right. their
0: position is not going to be the font of knowledge that has to know everything and deliver that everything to the kids. Right. They they play a different role. Right.
1: Absolutely. And that and
0: that role in your mind is evolving in what ways?
1: You always hear that um, guide on the side. You know, stage on the stage, stage on the stage, guide on the side, but more of a conduit of of exploring and developing and growth and maybe it's not so much it won't be so much content knowledge because you don't need that anymore you know you you can google anything nowadays so it's how do they teach those softer skills and those critical thinking skills so somebody to help guide that process along and not um, give answers and, and take give tests and whatnot yeah
0: that's fantastic so Stacy Kunihisa, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We we wish you luck and it looks like there's going to be extraordinary things happening on your campus. Thanks for having me. So hopefully in about a year we'll come back and yes, we'll do this definitely. again. Okay. okay thanks Stacy.